Hey there, everybody. This is Scott Grimes. This is Mark Jackson. This is Patrick Cox. You know, Justin the Ogre. Hi, this is Jessica Zor. This is BJ Tanner. You are tuned into the Planetary Union Network with your host, Lieutenant Commander Portis. Hi, this is Joe Pickle. And I'm Michael May. And this is Planetary Union Network, the official Orville New Horizons podcast, which is still a mouthful a week later. <laughs> yep. So, um, as you know from last week when we had uh, we had Johnny on, um, we're doing these uh, these fan guest chats too. And uh, this week uh, we've got Union Point Dropout, who is the uh, keeper of the Orville Wiki. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Uh, you can call me Patrick, by the way. Uh, Patrick, nice to officially meet you vocally. I mean, we we talk a lot on Twitter and everything, and um, what you do is is kind of keep everybody uh, keep everybody straight. Really, I think uh, the production crew uses the wiki too, don't they? <laughs> I like to think they do. I'm pretty sure a couple of them. And, um, you know, I'm really just flattered that that is the case because, you know, I put a lot of time, heart and soul into that project. So, yeah, I'm really honored that I think a couple of them do. I can't even imagine how much time you spend on that. That is amazing. It just it's it's so complete. It's really cool. You know, it really hits all the target points for what I like to do. I like sorting information. I like researching. So. This was really just something that was a labor of love. You really couldn't do this if you didn't love the the work itself and the show. You know, yeah, you, you, yeah. Just, you couldn't. But anyway, we can go ahead and get into Shadow Realms if you want. All right. Yeah, we will try not to uh, take as long this time as we did last time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, we shouldn't because this episode is a really cool episode, uh, but not like the the really deep like serious subject matter of the last episode although there was a couple of times earlier on where i thought maybe we were going to go somewhere really serious but we could talk about that um but it opens up in in the conference room and we find out that the orville is picking up vice admiral christie to transport him to a krill vessel for negotiations and the union hopes for success to the or excess sorry Hopes for access. I can't talk. (laughs) The union hopes for access to the NACLAV sector, uh, which was previously off limits due to the Krill's control over it. And if it does open up, the Orville, of course, wants to be the first to explore it. Um, And as they're discussing all of this, Dr. Finn looked pretty uncomfortable to me about something. She doesn't say what, Um, but, uh, but I don't know. She looked a little bit nervous, but I don't know. You guys have any thoughts on, on this scene at all? Yeah, I I just want to say that uh, right off the bat, if you guys follow me on Twitter, you know I called exactly what she is uncomfortable about. Okay, did you? My prediction, yeah, spot on. I can't believe it. I'm I'm ecstatic. (laughs) Okay, so I was very proud. As soon as she looked awkward and uncomfortable, I said to myself, "I knew it. I knew it." Wow, I want to talk to you about that then, maybe in a minute when we actually it's revealed because I went somewhere completely different from where the show was going. So um, that's really interesting. So uh, we go to sick Bay after this and, uh, and so Admiral Christie visits Dr. Finn and the dynamic is just really weird there. Like he's very friendly and informal with her, but she's keeping it very professional. And, so this is just where I'll admit, like after the really heavy subject matter of the previous episode, I was concerned that whatever was bothering her was going to be really serious. Like some kind of like, I don't know if it was, she was like sexually harassed by this guy back in the day, like what's going on here. Um, and you know, he's obviously attracted to her and he wants to get together socially, but she turns him down. It's like, so he apologizes for something that happened 25 years ago. And she kind of blows off his apology. So like, there's clearly like a lot of, water under the bridge for these guys and uh and i wasn't sure what it was and how serious it was going to be um but um 
I guess, Patrick, let's talk about it. Like, so how did you know? Okay. So, you know what I do. I read all the interviews. I watch all the videos online mm. where someone who's a cast or crew member goes on and talks about, you know, what you can expect for the upcoming season. You know, I've been doing this since like 2017. So, you know, I've gotten pretty used to it. But um, when it came to my predictions for Claire, um, this sort of groundwork was laid shortly after season two aired because first David A. Goodman, but also some other cast members said that, you know, there were some secrets that about Claire that they almost revealed in happy a happy refrain, but then chose not to. And, you know, that gets you thinking, you know, so I file that away as I do with all my information. Um, and I just put it in the back of my head and Later on, when it, you know season three is about to air, I start going over all my notes that I've taken for uh, what we can expect. And, you know, I did the math, basically. Uh, listen, let's just talk about her. Claire, she uh, has children. Uh, she clearly has romantic interests in other people. Um, she also has a, a past that we're only recently learning about, which is very exciting, but that's also a way to explore her relationship with Isaac. So when we think of like, okay, we know that they want to explore Isaac's uh, choices and his character on the show, then we can also say, well, his relationship with Claire is really important. And her backstory is also really important. And her relationship with her kids is really important. So to me, it was like really clear. Okay, well, she has someone from her past that's going to come up. And that's basically what I predicted. And uh, that's why I was basically uh, pumping my fist in the air while watching that okay. entire episode. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, I'm very happy that you're right. <laughs> that I was not. Um, so yeah. So after his kind of his apology, we have the opening credits, um, and then we're in the mess hall for this big reception for the Krill, and it's not going super well. Like, the Krill. Um, believe that once the Kalon are defeated, the Krill Union Alliance will be dissolved. Uh, they're very clear about that. Ed and Kelly are both just look uncomfortable and miserable. Um, Admiral Christie's there. He's putting on a good face about it. He, he seems very kind of optimistic. Um, he's the diplomat, but uh, but our officers are, are just like, ugh, they would just rather be somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, what one of my favorite lines from that was, uh, I'm just going to stay here and give myself cirrhosis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kelly just has some great facial expressions in this too. Like, she's just like, ugh, I just, please get me out of here. <laughs> and it, didn't she say a long time ago in season two that, you know, she doesn't drink on the job, but here we go. Watching our girl drain another <laughs> bottle of whatever it is, Frisian champagne. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, and Admiral Christie gives a toast and Dr. Finn grabs a bottle to go and, uh, and invites Kelly to come and help her drink it. And, uh, Kelly just checks with Ed, you, you got it here. And he's like, yeah, I can take it. So off they go. And, uh, so then we're in Dr. Finn's quarters and she reveals that she and Christie were once married. Um, so again, sigh of relief for me. Um, but, uh, still you know, troublesome for her. Like she's having a hard time with him being back. And, uh, she talks about how they fell in love when he was her professor, um, and, uh, in medical school and they got married after she graduated, but he didn't really, he wasn't really looking for a partner in marriage. She just kind of wanted somebody to come home to. And I think a bed warmer is the word that she uses. And, uh, after Dr. Finn gave him an ultimatum about it, he split, he did, they got a divorce. So, a lot of a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. Appropriate casting uh, for a bit of a soap opera plot, since the actor who played Admiral Christie was in a soap. Which one? Oh, uh, sorry. Tell me to put you on the spot. Yeah, no, I had it. Um, I'll look it up right now. Okay. This is also one of the beauties of um, not doing this live. Right. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he had a real familiar face, and so I'm wondering if it's some if it was a 
soap that I watched at all at one point. But well, while he's looking it up, you know, one thing that struck me was, uh, what do you think he was teaching? You know, it's easy to say like medical science, but then what's mm. he doing leading diplomatic negotiations? It doesn't sound like that would be his focus, right? That's a good question. That's a really good question. You have a theory? Yeah. Well, not really. We know that they teach um, interspecies diplomacy because mm-hmm. Kelly mentioned it, that she had a professor. Um, it was the one that um, said that she slept with him, I think, and that was a lie. So she was so mad, she pushed him into a pool. She like recounts this anecdote in season one. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, diplomacy is clearly something that they care a great deal about. And if he's going into it as a vice admiral under Admiral Halsey, it's probably something that he was teaching as a professor back then. Sure. Yeah. Days of our lives. He plays Clyde Weston and uh, apparently is still on it. Actually. Okay. 100, 146 episodes in running. Yeah. Oh his God, oh, okay. that show's still on. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the one that I used to watch back in the day. So that's probably where I recognized him from. Wow. That's crazy. Um. Yeah, yeah, I kind of want to kind of, I don't know, he, I want to imagine him as some kind of like, I don't know if xenobiology is right, but, uh, but, you know, some kind of uh, alien kind of expert. And, and maybe he taught a, a medical class on it, but, uh, but then parlayed that into um, a posting with the, the diplomatic service. I don't know. As That's we'll cool find out later, he probably didn't teach a class on uh, alien. Um, diseases yeah and how how not to contract them right (laughs) yeah he's like hey this looks like a a big mushroom with spores i'll just stick my face right up to it boy that smells weird (laughs) uh so after this scene uh ed and kelly and christy meet with the krill in the briefing room and they're just kind of negotiating the rights to explore this this sector um and they settle on it. There's some negotiation that goes on and Christy agrees to let the Orville be the first ship to explore it. Um, the Krill insist on specifying the route that the Orville is allowed to take. So the no deviation is allowed. And they also insist on putting a tracking beacon on board, which uh, Kelly's a little nervous about, but it agrees to. That um, became a, tr- a real Chekhov's gun right there. I thought that that was going to come back up, but the tracking device. Yeah. We didn't yeah. hear from it again. You're right. You're right. It, it, it's like a totally reasonable regress, request from the Krill's point of view. Um, like I, I, I kind of appreciate them bringing it up because I would, I would have been curious about that. But, but yeah, I was a little surprised too that it, it wasn't a plot point. So here's a here's a moment to speculate: Are we going to hear from it later? The fact that the Krill know where they are in space at all times, or did they remove that beacon and not tell us? Ah, uh, yeah, they they may. I I actually don't know um <laughs> i would assume that they removed it but like I, w- I would want i don't know it would be weird to me if they left it on but that's you know once they leave krill space why would they have it like why would they agree to to keep it true. on board the Oracle? who knows maybe you know in an early stage of drafting that beacon was some way supposed to be part of the dampening field that admiral christie placed i mean mm, how did he mm. get a device he, he was an alien for like 20 minutes and suddenly he's able to install a dampening field. I mean, what if it was that in an early stage of drafting, that beacon was supposed to be appropriated by Christie to emit, to change the signal being emitted into a dampening field. That's just speculation. I, like I don't know. Yeah. I like that though. Um, so uh, Christie in, in these conversations, he's ex- expresses a special interest in an area of the sector called the is it Kalar expanse. I think that's how they pronounced it. Yeah. I write these things down and then I don't remember how they said it on the show, <laughs> but I think it's the Kalar. Um, and it's really kind of cool because the Krill warned them against exploring that region. And they're clearly like freaked out by it. Like they have all these legends and superstitions about it. You know, it's in their holy writings. Um, and people who go there, they say, are possessed by demons. Um, and the Orville, you know, the, the, the Planetary Union folks are, you know, skeptical. But uh, the Krill say, if you know, if you want to go, we're not going to stop you, but don't expect us to save you either. 
Well, it really tells us a ton of information about the krill uh, that we're hearing for the first time. They've been in space forever, it seems. I mean, mm. Ed said that the last time they were in the Kalar Expanse was over a century ago. So they've been interacting with other species and exploring the galaxy for that long. And how long have they been religious fundamentalists? Because Ed told Talea, yeah. Yeah, that being part of the Ancano is at least, you know, for what we know about it, fairly old. So. But now it seems like there's sections that are more recent if they are putting in, you know, a warning against going to the Kalar Expanse and they were going there up until slightly over 100 years back. Mm. Then mm. that those changes to the Ancana must have been more recent. But that kind of fits in line with their way of thinking. In the episode, uh, Nothing Left Excepting Fishes, Ed tells Talea that they were much more tolerant until they began to explore the stars and encounter other sentient species. So they have been adjusting their religion and the Ancana kind of recently, it seems. Mm. So, I mean, it all kind of like boils down to maybe this fundamentalism, maybe their concepts of religion. It's really not that ancient. It's quite recent. Yeah, it makes the the book seemed more like a, a living document than a kind of ancient text that's been set in stone and, and is unchangeable. Like they, they're, they're still adding to it or I don't know. I'm thinking of like, um, you know, other religions that have, you know, they have like their ancient texts, but then they'll also have like the commentaries on the texts and the commentaries are accepted enough that they almost become a part of the text itself. So, um, yeah, That's like really the, the Mishrith traditions with Judaism right. or in certain brands of Christianity. I mean, ancient church fathers. Yeah, this is a common theme among religions. Yeah. Um, but when <laughs> This is great, too. When the crow return to their ship, um, they offer a prayer. And uh, they offer it in their own language. But uh, I forget who it is that asked them to translate. They basically say it's a prayer for those who are about to die. <laughs> Um, yeah. which, Gee, you know, thanks. it was, yeah, it was, it's a funny line, but also I thought it was kind of cool. Like that the krill even bothered, you know, to, to offer that prayer on behalf of the Orville. That's the first time we've heard the Krillane language since the first episode of season one. So really what a callback. I mean, yeah, we haven't heard Krillane in forever. Wow. That's cool. Uh, in the language, the phonological system in its writing was was created by Taylor Falconberry. Um, and I don't know if she still even works on the show, but if she does, man, I would love to pick her brain because in season one, she became the kind of de facto. This is according to Jeff Pond, so I don't know if it's um, still true, but she became like the de facto um, alien culture expert. You know, she created a lot of the languages that we see. And in season one, it's like we have this rich writing tradition we get with all of these different aliens, but I cannot decipher it because she doesn't, she doesn't have, she hasn't published any of the um, translations. So we're just stuck looking at the screen and wondering mm -hmm. what the heck it all said. Um, we do have the alphabet file. Yeah. Do you have it for, I have one that's not. Uh, accurate for the Mocklin language. I have one for Krillane that is accurate. That's, I think... Oh, uh, the Mocklin one, yeah. I'll have to, I'll have to see if I can figure that out. Yeah, the the, uh, the Krillane one, um, the uh, publishing to the internet came through us. So... Hmm. Um, There's one for the... And I think you guys published it, but it's for the If the Stars Should Appear species that was never named, but they live in a bioship. And yeah. we, we have the cipher for that, which was great. It was nice. But uh, if there are other ones throughout the Yeah, season. and the one, the, the one, the Krillane one is not, um, some of it translates, but uh, if I remember an old conversation several years ago now that um, some of the, uh, some of the glyphs were, were, were random. Um, hmm. Actually, on the on the uh, around the krill ship and in the Ancana, so it's it's not a not a direct. You can't directly translate some of it, but right. for a lot of it, you can. Um, we'll have to look into the Mokla, though. 
I mean, it would be awesome because there's clearly a lot of writing we just can't translate yet. And uh, it would be a shame if, you know, we don't ever get to see it. I would love if the uh, crew members brought that forward for us to look at. So the next scene is uh, in Ed's office, and Ed and Kelly and Christy are consulting with Admiral Halsey, which, yay, I love Victor Garber, and it's always great to see him, so I'm glad he's, he appears. Um, and they're talking about the possibility of going into the Kalar Expanse, and they all agree that the Krill stories could indicate the presence of an actual non-supernatural threat um, that the that the Krill have just kind of interpreted through their own cultural lens. Um, but they decide to go ahead and do it anyway. They're willing to chance it because, you know, exploration always involves risk and, and they're very excited to go check out this area of space that no one's been to in a really long time. And they've never been to. Um, after that, we are in Muska's restaurant and uh, Dr. Finn is having dinner. Uh, Christy interrupts her and asks to join her and reveals that he's staying on the Orville for its exploration of, um, of the sector. And Finn says that she hopes that his decision to stay doesn't have anything to do with her. He says not entirely, but he has been thinking about her. And he reveals that he still carries his wedding ring uh, for luck, he says. Um, he mentions the material that it's named after or named, made out of, um, which will become important later. It's a rare material called Salayan sunstone. Um, Dr. Finn insists that she's moved on, doesn't want to dredge up the past with him. And uh, I just, I like the line. She says, the uh, the hurt ran really deep for me and I had to work very hard to dig it all out. So he's disappointed, but he accepts what she's saying and uh, says that he's going to continue wearing the ring as a luck charm. So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on any of that. No, not really. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't want to like just speed through everything. So feel free to jump in if you have anything. Otherwise, I'll just kind of pause and um, I'll keep. I'll pick up again if I don't hear anybody. Um, next is Isaac's lab, and uh, Christy goes to meet Isaac and kind of grills him about Finn. He says that he knows that um, that Isaac and Finn have had a relationship, and and that's really interesting to Isaac who says, you know, we have some shared experiences there. And uh, so it's just kind of a weird conversation, but it's fun. Um, they, these guys have both had relationships with, with Dr. Finn and um, <laughs> Isaac's trying to, uh, well, his willingness to share whatever it is that, that Chrissy wants to know uh, knows no bounds. <laughs> um, in fact, Christy kind of gets uncomfortable when Isaac starts to talk about her favorite sexual positions. So, <laughs> right. But we can also see Isaac uh, becoming, for lack of a better term, humanized. He's, he admits mm -hmm. that Claire's absence is painful. And I think that might be the right. first time we're getting a glimpse at an admission of of emotion since since season two right right yeah yeah because that definitely came up in season two um mm -hmm. the, the fact that he missed her and uh we're seeing now for like you said for the first time that he's he still does like he misses her again i guess because of the distance between them because of his role in the in the kalon attack yeah, he, he's he's becoming conflicted. Like, there's two Isaacs, obviously. Um, mm. There's the Kalon Isaac, but then there's an you know an emergent property of Isaac is that he's uh, not just understanding biological life, but finding it attractive to think in that manner, and it's creating mm. self conflict. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally in the last episode. I mean, you know, his decision. Uh, right. Right. Uh, on the bridge, the uh, the crew arrives in the Nakalov sector and begin their scans, but are interrupted by a distress signal, and it just happens to be coming from the Kalar Expanse. Isaac observes that the Expanse is mostly empty space except for one star system, and uh, Ed orders the ship to check out the signal. Um, and I just have a note here about the music during this whole part. I love the music. I mean, the music is great on the show anyway, but... Um, this theme kind of playing as they're going into the expanse and uh, as they discover the space station, um, it, uh, it has some kind of military sounding trumpets that reminded me a lot of like wrath of Khan. Um, but also this electronic note that reminds me of V'ger's music from star Trek, the motion picture. 
Mm. Um, but just this very exciting, but yet unsettling and kind of spooky um, score throughout this. Um, and it's also very spooky just as the ship enters this completely dark territory with no stars. And I feel like we've seen this kind of thing before, if not on the Orville, then on other science fiction shows, but it just really struck me um, just how kind of scary and disorienting it is to go into this area of space where you've got no stars to guide you. You've got, you know, they're just completely relying on instruments. Yeah. I think it was feeling, I think I was feeling that along with the, um, with the crew. Right. <laughs> like, right. Like it's just a, the massive, just dark expanse. Um, so yeah, so they find the distress signal coming from this space station, which is enormous and creepy. Um, it's, it's, I don't know. It's got this kind of weird look with like a bunch of really sharp angles. And this is really creepy kind of orange glow to it. Um, so they, they form an away team to investigate. So it's Ed, Ed and Kelly and uh, Admiral Christie and Dr. Finn and Tala and Lamar. And, uh, and it's just as spooky on the inside as on the outside. It's got this really kind of organic look. There's fog all over the ground. It's completely deserted. Um, they, uh, this is not our first kind of horror episode of the Orville. Um, but I remember like the other, the one I'm thinking of was the one I don't, I don't remember episode titles, but the one with the dreams and the clowns and um, clown, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's um, a lot of similarity. Yeah, but there's, I love these creepy episodes, and um, I know Brandon Braga is a big fan. Like I know he always was, even when he was working on Next Generation, he would try to find ways to, um, you know, do like a spooky episode. And I feel like I don't know. They feel like they work much better on the Orville than they did uh, on Next Generation for some reason. But I find them really effective on this show. Hmm. So do we figure the uh, the space station was, um, a. We, we think that's a Krill space station that was just completely taken over by the, uh, I didn't think about that, but it does have kind of that look to it. Doesn't it? Like with the, the kind of almost spear like, yeah, yeah, that was my first impression on it. I don't, I don't know if that's actually the case, but you know, as we, as we discover how this, uh, species propagates, uh, eventually, um, it just, it just kind of struck me out, struck me that way. That's a cool thing. Honestly, the first thought that I had was when I saw that um, was that it was clearly Cardassian from Deep Space Nine. And this is the <laughs> confirmation we have that we exist in the Star Trek universe. <laughs> yep, I can see it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so they explore and uh, they find the automated beacon that's been sending the distress call. And then Ed and Christy find these glowing pods that Ed thinks might be power relays. Um, oh, by the way, so none of them are wearing any kind of like protective clothing because there's the atmosphere is breathable in there. So um, <laughs> it's just maybe that's going to become a standard from now on that, you know, when you're going to somewhere you've never been, wear a, wear a suit. Yeah. Yeah. It's time for a new protocol. This is clearly written yeah. pre COVID-19. Because, <laughs> let me tell you, at least they'd be wearing masks now. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, <laughs> the COVID reference is so funny and accurate because you know I'm thinking about like every episode of Star Trek ever. They just as long as they can breathe, they just why bother? Like they, there's no reason to you know protect themselves with anything, but how many even Star Trek episodes have we seen where, you know, someone gets shot in the face with spores um, or, or something else and yeah, uh, alien pathogens, you know, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So anyway, one of the, the pods opens and closes uh, while, when Christy is standing nearby and uh, we don't see anything come out of it. It just looks like it's just opening and closing. But uh, uh, so no one's concerned. Um, but Ed does decide that it be, would be safest to analyze the data they've already collected before exploring anymore. So they they go back to the ship. Uh, so in engineering, Lamar reports to the team that the station uses biotechnology 
uh, but that there were no life forms aboard that they could determine. Um, not that no one that then that they recognized as such. Um, and he can't figure out what the purpose of the station is since it's, it's apparently deserted. Um, and Christy is kind of in the middle of saying they should move on for now, uh, to a different part of space, but then he collapses in pain and goes into a seizure. Um, he's on his belly and they turn him over and see that his face has started to change. He gets carried to sick bay and Dr. Finn scans him, discovers that his DNA is being rewritten. We get a better look at his face here and, and what looks like a couple of completely black eyes have opened on his forehead. Um, he, uh, Dr. Finn just decides if, he's, if she's going to help him, she needs more information from the space station about what started the change. So a crew goes back over to the station, Ed, Tala, and Lamar. They're now in spacesuits. And Tala triggers one of the pods on purpose to, uh, to make it open, and she takes some readings of whatever happens there. And Ed reads the data and discovers that, indeed, there was some kind of spore released. Um, meanwhile, Lamar also on the space station is investigating the distress beacon and reports that it's changed its message. So now it's broadcasting the coordinates of the station, um, outward. And I don't remember how I, I think I got clued in on the spider element, uh, earlier, like when they're talking about the, the, the Krill's description of these these demons and they talked about them having eight eyes and, um, and fangs or something like that. And the eight eyes, this always means spiders to be. So I was thinking about spiders and, uh, um, I don't know. I just thought the, it was interesting that they had this distress signal that kind of called them into this, the, the attracted the prey kind of like to the center of a web and now is sending these signals kind of like thread vibrations back to the predator. So it's not a literal web, but the space station kind of functions the same way as the web is what I was thinking. I mean, this is a classic, um, dare I say the word trope of not just the Orville, but, uh, like Star Trek and lots of science fiction. I mean, writers love the idea of a perfect lure. I mean, we saw that in the mm-hmm. command performance with the Calavon, you mm-hmm. know, where they lure you in with a distress signal. And, uh, you know, by the time you've answered it, you've already been tricked into boarding their little um, teleporter. Right, right. Um, back on the Orville, uh, in sickbay, Admiral Christie gets worse. And, uh, like his eyes are now like, like one eye is like completely like just black and very animal. Like, um, he's got like a little, uh, I don't know, almost look like a little tusk forming out of his, out of his bottom of his chin, which would be some kind of like spider mandible, I think is what's, what's coming on there. Um, but, uh, he escapes from sick bay and this is where the, the show really kind of punches into like action uh, horror mode here. Um, Finn notifies the bridge of Chrissy's disappearance. And that's when the controls go haywire. Everything shuts down borders reports that it's some kind of dampening field. And he tries to uh, stop it, but it was created by a level nine command code, which he doesn't have access to, um, which means that it has to be vice Admiral Chrissy. Apparently he's, um, the uh, the only person who would have that level of access. Uh, so back to sick bay, Finn goes to check on her kids. She leaves a nurse in charge, and he hears a sound in the hallway. Goes outside to investigate, finds Chrissy's ripped up uniform just before he's attacked by a multi eyed creature with a mouthful of long teeth. There's a moment of silence for Nurse Park. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to jump back to uh, the level nine command code. Yeah, I yeah. mean, dare I say it, did we just see a mistake on this show? Because if you recall in the episode Firestorm, the chief of security on a ship through Directive 38 can override anyone's clearances. Mm. It's unlimited power. Remember how it's so extraordinary? But, um, you know, I think that the real problem is there doesn't seem to be power on the ship in the first place now. So 
I don't know. Make of it what you will. But I thought that was a little interesting. That is interesting. Maybe yeah. it's uh, maybe it's a uh, part of the um, time time dilation effect too. Of not uh, not everything is the same after uh, after <laughs> maybe, season two. Maybe they changed it once Alara decided to abuse Directive Thirty Eight so that she could play <laughs> role play. <laughs> like, oops! No, no more of this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or at least on, every, on 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 every ship except for the Orville. It's yeah, the Orville. The no, but you guys was, are but you guys are too <laughs> weird. You guys are going to be very, very, very much limited. <laughs> well, like some of you were hitting that, Patrick. Like maybe it is that you know Bordas couldn't override it in the moment, and then and once it was done, then the lack of power means that nobody can do anything about it. Like now they've got to go do it manually, but. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, who knows, really? Right. They remember John doesn't even know where the dampening field is coming from, right? So, right. I mean, there's a lot of mystery here. Yeah, for sure. Um. So Lamar bringing the shuttle with uh, with Ed and Tala back to the Orville. They, they've got to dock manually, um, which they do with with no issues. But Lamar heads to engineering while Ed and Tala head towards the bridge. Um, and then lots of just really cool, creepy stuff with all the lights off in the ship. I just, I love the whole atmosphere, um, of this part of the show. We've got Dr. Finn looking her for her kids and they're looking for her, um, in different places. Um, funny scene on the bridge with Kelly trying to get a, the power cell out of something. Was that a, was that a, a weapon that she was trying to pull a power cell out of, or I couldn't really tell what she was fidgeting with. Um, but they're trying to use these power cells to get the scanners up and running. Um, that was a PM 44, the uh, pistol basically. Okay. All right. Gotcha. Cool. Um, but yeah, everybody's got opinions about how, like if it doesn't pop right out, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) And, uh, she don't, she doesn't really want to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so with no scanners on board, John decides to manually check the engineering condu- conduits for whatever is causing causing the dampening field. Uh, and there's like hundreds of them. So um, Isaac volunteers to help him with that. Meanwhile, Marcus and Ty are still looking for Dr. Finn. They go to the mess hall and they're stalked by this multi-eyed creature, which is now crawling on walls. A security officer finds them, uh, but he's attacked by the creature who then spits green slime into the officer's face. And the officer immediately begins to change into another creature. Yeah. So the, um, so we, we know that the, uh, the spittle is highly concentrated. Right. Yeah. It has the, basically the same effect as the spore, but just like way faster. Um, Marcus and Ty flee. They they run into their mom, and uh, she finds out like what they just saw. She has them report it to Ed and the others on the bridge, and uh, Ed kind of figures out that this transformation is probably the source of these demonic possession legends that the Krill had because it's it's kind of like that. Like you're you're being changed. You're by into something really horrifying. Um. So. Lamar still has no idea what's going on. He's off in the conduit somewhere. Tala goes to try to find him and warn him. Uh, meanwhile, Lamar restores auxiliary power. Bordas and Finn head to sick bay so that Finn can start working on a way to counteract the transformations. Um, and Lamar is attacked by creatures in the conduits. This is, I, I love this stuff. I mean, I'm zooming kind of through it, but this is like my favorite part of the whole episode where he's, um, He's being chased through the conduits. He gets out. He uh, runs to the bridge and locks himself in the in the the bridge, the brig, and locks himself in the brig uh, just in the nick of time. So he's safe from them. But now he's stuck there. But just a super exciting chase scene. Chase scene. Uh, Tala shows up at the brig, gets the creatures to chase her to the shuttle bay, where she promptly kicks their asses. And uh, that was just such a freaking cool scene. That was basically, remember when Alara boxed Bordas? Yeah, yeah. That was like boxing night with three different Bordases. <laughs> and it was great. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. So really cool, well choreographed, a lot of superpowers, uh, just great. Like I, I like how like Tala is um she's a great security officer. She's a good investigator. Like I like that we see a, that side of her a lot. We don't see her superpower side a lot. And so it was really cool to be able to to be reminded that she's, you know, got this super strength as well as uh being just really good at her job. Um it's a really cool little scene where a creature finds Isaac and doesn't really know what to make of him. It just kind of, they kind of stare at each other <laughs> and the creature says, okay, you know, he doesn't say anything, but he just, he goes off and leaves Isaac alone. Cause obviously he's not going to be able to do anything with Isaac. The framing on that shot was just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Isaac makes it, makes it to the brig, releases Lamar. They go to the bridge together so that Lamar can restore the ship's communications um, by drawing power from life support. Um, and like he says, nobody breathe heavy, but uh, but at least they can coordinate their work now um, with the communications on. In sick bay, Finn isn't having any luck without a creature to study. Uh, but just at that moment, Tala comes in with the corpse of one of the ones that she defeated. Um, Meanwhile, Gordon picks up a ship coming in on the long range scanners and uh, we see uh, we, they kind of zoom in. We get a closer look at it. It's a similar design to the space station. It's the same kind of orange glow. And uh, Lamar says he's not going to be able to get the quantum drive working in time to escape. Uh, in sick bay, Finn studies the, uh, the dead alien and learns that the transformation process has left the creatures susceptible to attacks on their immune systems. It's like that part of them takes a while to, uh, to get back up to speed once the transformation occurs. So she creates a synthetic virus that she can disperse through the ship. Um, and, uh, it might give the crew the sniffles, but it should kill the creatures. Morta seems a little bit nervous about it, but he says, I am prepared. <laughs> yeah, that was the, uh, that was one of the other lines that actually audibly made me laugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's classic Bordas. It yeah, is absolutely. Yeah. I I'm so excited to finally get to a Bordas episode. I don't know when we're coming up on one at all, but I I miss the 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 Mocklin Bordas focus episodes. I can't wait to uh to get more of him because these little snippets are fun. But man, I want more. Uh, so on the bridge, Ed is concerned about killing former shipmates and, uh, and, um, he wants to give the creatures a chance to leave. So Dr. Finn thinks that she can find, uh, the creature formerly known as Admiral Christie by tracking the unique material in his wedding ring. And, uh, they fight their way to engineering. She convinces Christie that he and the other creatures will die if they don't leave the ship immediately. Um, and, uh, he agrees to go, but he says not forever. So not knowing, I don't know what that means, especially if, I don't know if, if the ship never comes back to this part of space. Like, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm really curious to see if these aliens could show up again. Um, if well, they talking do. to Orville, I think just yesterday came out with some uh, concept art that apparently he got access to that shows the arachnid aliens to have additional forms that they will, transform into over their lifespan so Mm. now i mean take it two different ways one way is just that they had ideas early on that didn't get used or the other way uh when they say not forever that means new episodes right which is what i assume like you know it's it's definitely a a teaser of something um but i'm very curious to know how that would work um but i trust Mm. these writers they'll make it work uh, or maybe it's just a teaser, you know, in, in classic horror movie faction that uh, maybe it, it doesn't need to be paid off. It's just kind of like this lingering threat that we have to kind of worry about. Like the Choctaw, you know, the classic enemy of the Krill that have been battling them on another sector of space, but we haven't seen mm. the Choctaw since. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we don't actually see these aliens leave the ship. Right. So like it, that, that was a question that I had, like, can they survive space? Did they take a shuttle? Um, I don't know. You guys have any theories? 
I think they probably spent a couple minutes spitting on everything. So in the <laughs> chance that someone slips on it and transforms and the whole problem starts up again. Is there, yeah, their version of marking their territory. Yeah, yeah right. exactly. Right. Um, no, I don't know. I think, um, I think it's just implied that they took the shuttle over, but that, that is a fun thought. Maybe they're hidden in a conduit right now. Yeah. Um, and last scene is that Muska is again and Finn is sitting alone again. Uh, but Isaac comes up to check on her this time. And, uh, and he's, he's, the way he does it is great because he says, you know, I, my understanding is that when, you know, it's, I forget, I didn't write down exactly what he said, but basically, you know, it's, it's uh polite practice, common practice for people to check on other people. And, uh, but he, he's very funny about it. Um, kind of weird and awkward about it, but uh, that's why I think Finn says what she does, which says that she's, she has missed him. Like she misses this part of kind of his awkwardness. Um, so she invites him to sit down with her and then that's kind of where the episode ends. It's a really great ending. I mean, it lays the groundwork for more development between them. Right. So that's the episode. One heck of an episode. Yeah. It was one heck of an episode. So, um, with this episode as well, uh, I, Tom is giving away a couple of screen use props, including um, the one that uh, Tala uses to analyze the uh, spores or to get the sample of the spores. Mm. Um, so, run over to Twitter, people who are listening to this and aren't following everybody on Twitter. Um, but yeah, uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, next episode is Mortality Paradox. Um, think about that what you will. I already know what's going on with that episode, but uh, <laughs> um, we'll uh we'll be back to analyze that one with everybody uh okay so uh patrick you got anything you want to plug yeah so i have uh recently been working on some orville related uh projects uh first one i want to say is the orville 2d rescue has a sequel coming out planet of yesterdays and it's being led by elise hargreaves uh, which is just great. She's awesome at making this video game. So you should head over to Twitter to follow her. She always posts new stuff. And I wrote the script to that video game. So, I mean, come on. It's going to be great because I wrote it. And then the, <laughs> well, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Come on, guys. Um, awesome. Cool. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, we Yeah, definitely check that out. Shit. I don't pay enough attention. Usually. Apparently. Well, you know, you guys are doing the podcast and that's probably keeping you super busy. So I just want to thank you guys for that. I found you guys way back and gosh, I don't even remember how I found you guys anymore. Um, you you were the OGs. You were before me. Um, yeah. Dan, Dan, uh, Dan started the Twitter page in February of 2017. Absolutely mind blowing. That's so early. That's so early. I mean, I was like most early fans. In fact, maybe everyone but you guys, which is that, you know, I saw the trailer when it came out and, um, hey, I, got, I love sci fi. I got excited. I thought it was going to be a hard comedy. That was kind of how it was being marketed as. Mm -hmm. And so I was obviously going to watch it, but I was way more jazzed about Star Trek Discovery. So I watched um, the first episode, Old Wounds, enjoyed it immensely, thought, heck yeah, I'm coming back to it. Command Performance, really enjoyed that. But then About a Girl, Holy for me, that was the game changer. All of a yep. sudden I realized this isn't like a fluke. This is really a show recapturing the utopian storytelling that Roddenberry, in my opinion, pioneered. I know you can point to earlier writers, but I think for sci-fi television, he was the original and McFarlane's the only guy out there anymore doing it as far as like large scale television. And I just want to say it's just fantastic. Loving every second of it. Amen to all that.
and hopefully many more seasons to come. And many more uh, Planetary Union Network episodes to come. I, I love you guys. Listen to every single episode you guys put out. Oh, that's I'm nice. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Do not edit that. Do not cut that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, man. So, yeah. Uh, if you're not already, uh, follow us over there on Twitter at Planetary underscore Union. That's where we do most of the shit at. Um, Facebook, Planetary Union Network. Instagram, also Planetary Union Network. We've been releasing some stuff on YouTube, which is not our primary platform. But um, that's where that's where Tom and, uh, and the production crew like to throw things our way to get to the fans faster than Hulu will do it. So. Um. Yeah, check that stuff out there. Uh, do website, it. Yeah, Follow do them. Uh, website's planetaryunion.net. Uh, make sure you also go and follow Patrick at Dropout Point on Twitter. And check out the wiki, because without the wiki, you know, some of the stuff is just not possible to remember, honestly. <laughs> um, but... Um, Help us out. Come on by. Uh, be an editor. Um, you know, we would love to have you. And if you can ever help me out with that influences of the Orville page on there, I'm trying to chart out all of the influences that led to the Orville because mm. we could use some help. That's cool. So did we uh, did we land on continuing do it to do uh, Unk Smash? Michael, I love Unk we, Smash. Are, yeah, I mean, we we did get May the Force be with you. Yeah, I feel like that's been used before, though. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> I'm a fan of Unk Smash, but uh, it's just my one vote. <laughs> all, right, all right, fine. Unk Smash. Till next time, Unk Smash. Unk Smash. Unk Smash.